Live from the Rebel Base on Yavin 4, this is Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated Austin Powers-themed movie podcast on the internet. Uh, I promise it's random. I want to just head this off up front. Last week, I spun our giant wheel over 400 movies connected to the Austin Powers franchise, and we landed on Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope. We did this at random, I promise. They can't all be Annie or Chairman of the Board. <laughs> I'm, I bet you I'm going to get another one of those tonight. Oh my I guarantee God. you. There's oh, no that's... way we're, we're going up. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> oy, oy. Uh, as always, I'm Kev. She's Mackenzie. Hey. And uh, yeah, later this episode, we'll be talking about the first of 11 Star Wars films on the wheel. Jesus Christ. Um, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Crazy. Crazy times. It's crazy. Crazy. But first, Mackenzie, tell me about your week. Yeah, it was a good week. Um, you know, September began. We're in fall, my favorite time of year. My favorite, favorite, favorite cozy movies, favorite cozy clothes, cozy weather, cozy drinks, cozy food. I'm pumped for fall. Oh yeah! Uh, before I have to endure the hell winters of Chicago, uh, so I'm excited to enjoy the fall. And I started my fall with <laughs> the Virgin Suicides, which I feel like sounds like very uh, dark. Uh, I had not seen a Sofia Coppola film yet, and uh, oh, wow. I really dug it. Like I feel like weirdly, like the Virgin Suicides for me culturally sits in like a girly fight club place Mm, that makes sense like i feel like it's gotten sort of absorbed in like a certain type of femininity and like pastels and i just feel like it is a film i mostly saw through culture being made fun of or it being hailed as xyz xyz and so i just was it was fun to just watch it and i just think it's so good what an incredible debut from sofia coppola like coming from her dad's shadow this man who created probably the most iconic film literally ever made and yeah, right as tucker well as, right tucker a man yeah. in his dream peggy right. sue got married uh <laughs> uh yeah no but you know what i mean like yeah. apocalypse now godfather series xyz cotton club i've said that too many times already cotton club starring richard Gere, right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i want to watch that what a, i love richard what Gere. a movie anyway <laughs> but yeah like she's coming under a huge you know under a huge family shadow and i just think it's a really amazing um debut and it's obviously very dark and it's very sad and i it's it's interesting i, I wrote my debut uh, in my review it is a dead dove in the fact that we know the name of the film but for me i still felt really emotionally um moved by the end of it i knew what the ending would be the title of the film tells you what it's going to be and right. still i was shocked surprised and moved by by it um Kirsten Dunst, Hero of the Pod, is incredible in it. Hero of the Pod, yes. Uh, excited to see uh, more Coppola films. So I just, I really dug The Virgin Suicides. So that's cool. Um, that's great. Yeah, I caught that on the Criterion channel. They had it for a short time. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, I mean, I also really enjoyed it. And it you know really what's great. crazy about that? In the camera what? department, Renee Trayball on Austin Powers <laughs> International Man of Mystery puts the Virgin Suicide as on the wheel. Hey, Renee, Queen Renee. Oh my God, imagine a Virgin Suicides episode of ADP. Wow. How do you like um, that? <laughs> uh, super quickly, I did see Jaws in theaters. I know a lot of people did. Oh, that's uh, great. I didn't get to go. Oh, it was a blast. It was, it was interesting. So we accidentally went on $3 movie day. Which meant there were a ton of loud teenagers coming to the movies because stuff was cheap. So we were a little nervous because we got in there and there were some rowdy teens filling the theater for Jaws. Like loud, fucking with each other, taking pictures of each other, throwing food. We were like, oh no. (laughs) Oh no. But then there's this amazing thing that happens that the movie is so fucking good Mm -hmm. that these teenagers eventually get so absorbed in it. And they're in it with us. And it was just really cool for me to listen to kids having their lives changed. Like I could tell that these kids were having their minds opened up and um, it was just really fun to, my favorite moment was um, when uh, Hooper's going under the water at the boat that they found when they're looking around for the shark at night. And there's that awful jump scare of that fucked up head that comes out of the hole. The audience erupted in like a sh- in shrieks and gasps. Like everyone got so scared by that jump scare, and it was so fun to just like 
have a co- like a communal experience with Jaws. And of course, there was a cheer when Brody finally kills the shark. And it's just, it was just really fun to see in theaters. It was really cool. That's amazing. I, I felt a lot of those things, you know, E.T. a couple weeks ago. Mm. I mean, it was pretty empty because you had to pay like 25 bucks in my theater. <laughs> yeah, my IMAX still was like three bucks. I was like, what? That's amazing. It's crazy. Uh, but yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And before I go, I guess I did watch Back to the Future this week as well. Yeah. Uh, shout out to the to the Sony Millimeter guys. I know that was the meetup movie. I don't, again, I just sort of have been like following my bliss. And if I'm in the mood for a movie, I'm like, yeah, I'll check this out. Um, it was good. It didn't blow my mind. I didn't grow up with this movie. It's not a movie that like I- I've ever known anything about other than like his mom wants to fuck him. Uh, and boy, does she. I was like, okay, this is much more sexual of a film than I thought it would be. Um, but it's fun, right? Like, you know, Marty McFly is so goofy and great. Christopher Lloyd is awesome. I don't know why I called the f- character and then the actor for the other person. But, um, you know, they're they're both great. The cast is great. It's funny. It, it's well-paced. It's, it's like an iconic movie for a reason. Uh, so, yeah, I liked it. I just gave it a like. I feel like sometimes in movies that are that big, it's like I just want to – I just I don't want to rate you because <laughs> you mean too much to so many people I love that it's not worth my, like, non-nostalgia bullshit rating <laughs> to come into anyone's right. heart. And then that stuff is also so hard to read online. Like yeah. I come off way meaner than I am, uh, <laughs> even when I'm trying to be mean, <laughs> you know, there you go on the internet. Uh, so yeah, I watched back to the future. It was fun. I want to watch the other ones. So Kev, what did you watch? Any, any American classics this week? Well, you know, here's a lost American classic. You know, I was up in the hills and dells of upstate New York when a rogue <laughs> turnip truck hit a pothole. And out of the the back of the truck bounced a copy of Cocoon on DVD. That's how I watched it. I'm accepting no questions on this. This is how it happened. For those of you who don't know, Cocoon is the lost Ron Howard sci-fi movie from the mid-80s about a, a group of aliens who have to leave their loved ones behind in cocoons at the bottom of the ocean. And they come back for them. And the 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 ocean is next to essentially a retirement home. And okay. so they rent this clubhouse with an indoor pool next to the retirement home and they keep the cocoons there. And and a bunch of this is the real plot of the movie. Some of the old people at the home sneak into the clubhouse like they always do and they swim with the cocoons and they find that their life force is rejuvenated. There's a breakdancing scene in this movie, for example, oh that is God. played straight. Very funny. Um, but yeah, Cocoon is fun. It's funny. It's light. Again, it hews a little closer to Splash than to 13 Lives in the Thai cave. <laughs> um, the thing that's a bummer about Cocoon, though, is that it'll be overrated to hell and back because due to some very complicated rights issues, you can't buy it. You can't rent it. You can't stream it. Uh, you can't see it anywhere. That's so weird. I got it off the back of a turnip truck because in other places across the world, it's a bit more easily available. That is so strange. uh, Yeah, it sucks. But it's good. Like, it's good. You will eventually, once you find it, if you find it, you'll find a fine movie. I mean, I see a a four-star rating from you. That's right, which is great. I think it's great. I'm a big fan. The big thing people are going to want to hear about and kind of my last here as as we're chugging along is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Now, full... I did not see that. Mask off, curtain up, full disclosure. I was going to be on... We should watch a movie around this time to talk about it. But that podcast, unfortunately, has come to an end. And I was free to watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off uh, for the Movie Mixtape podcast, which Marcy and Dirk did all the way back in April already. And time makes fools of us all, no? (laughs) Uh, And yeah, it's one of those... You know, I've been watching a lot of these all-time classics lately. And... I was a little nervous because a lot of these all-time classics to me are kind of plain, like Fistful of Dollars. And, and Kevin Cablasto on Spaghetti and Freddy was saying a lot of this and stuff, too. It's very plain. It's like good. It's archetypical good. Ferris Bueller's Day Off starts with one of the great jokes I've heard all year. And then it only escalates upward. And while the structure is kind of basic and easy because you've watched cartoons rip it off for 30 years. <laughs> hey, when you're great, you're great. Matthew Broderick, what a guy. It's on the wheel, so I don't want to go into it more, but yeah. mm, mm, what a film. Uh, perfect. I, I absolutely fucking loved it. Yeah, I was <laughs> I did not see that you logged that. 
Um, I also want to mention something that you do not know and you don't know what it's about. And I just want to say it to have it said uh, last week, Greg Turkington's deck of cards was released on the high network and the editing and mangling and the egotism of Tim Heidecker. I, I could not believe, and I was shocked and appalled and offended and I will not rest until the high network releases the Turkington cut of deck of cards. And that's all I have to say about that. You're right. That was a foreign language to me. <laughs> um, if you're not watching on cinema at the cinema, uh, you should watch on cinema at the cinema. What can I tell you? That's all I have to say <laughs> with that out of the way. Whoop dit news. What does it all mean? Basil. I got to be real. I had this Den of Geek editorial open that was like, here's why Austin Powers wouldn't work today. And the points were actually pretty valid, but I closed the window and I'm not going to go looking for it. (laughs) And that's Austin News. Who is writing an article about that? Like, no, like, who cares? The guy's name was like Jack Swan. Actually, the article is called Austin Powers. Why Austin Powers would not be a hit today um, by David Crow. And I don't know if there's anything groundbreaking in the article. I think it's well written and well argued that basically like he argues the James Bond movies have moved past Austin movies and his big argument, which is like a core thesis of this show is that Mm. comedy just isn't in the zeitgeist anymore. No, it's not. People just don't care about comedies anymore. And I think also think things like Netflix cheapen comedies because they crank those shitty, weird comedies for no budget out, like constantly. Right. It's just like comedy is now thought of as just like fodder for yeah, streaming, that's, which that's is actually, insane. That's actually exactly what Mr. Crow said in his uh, <gasps> article. Oh my god! Because it's like slush. <laughs> Are you the crow? I'm uh, the crow. Yeah, and I think you know, uh, search. But the, I, I feel like the Fire Island thing is also a searchlight issue. Yeah, it's, it's Disney using searchlight to generate Hulu content. You know, because we had these issues as, you know, two weeks ago with Prey, right? Where Prey, everybody was like, wow, that was great. I wish I didn't have to, you know, project it onto my neighbor's house to get the big picture experience. (laughs) Yeah. It's a very frustrating situation, especially when these movies are exactly the thing that I'm sitting here every Wednesday night with you yelling about on this show that we want. Yeah, I've weirdly... I do not know how I have fallen into this, but I've been watching old Siskel and Eber episodes from like the late seventies and early eighties yeah, as my those. like background noise. Um, and it's so interesting to like hear them talk about obviously like the greats. There was one I listened to today where they were like a newcomer named Richard Gere uh, in this new Terrence Malick movie, and I was like, that's crazy. Like it's funny to hear them talk about things they have no idea like what they'll become. Um, but it is interesting to hear them talk about movies I've never heard of that they both disliked and probably got forgotten. But like those movies were still in theaters. Like they were, it was, it was theaters used to be a spaghetti at the wall. Let's see what sticks kind of place. And now it feels like, you know, they only want to release a film if they know it's going to be a hit or they know it's going to make money. Like they don't, I don't, I don't think there's as many risks being taken anymore. Right. There's no uh, wall anymore. Like, yeah. But just putting something out on streaming like that and leaving it out there is more like, Throwing spaghetti down a dark chasm. Whether it sticks or not, who knows? It's gone. Exactly. And it's never coming back. And it's just, yeah, watching them talk about what going to the movies was like at that time, I'm like, man, yeah, like anything used to be in theaters because that was how movies were released. Oh, sometimes right. I feel like an old man screaming at a cloud, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. That's if there's anything I've learned over the last five years, it's to embrace being A, a hermit, and B, an old man yelling at a cloud. <laughs> Um, and that's really, you know, Austin news. Uh, the movies are out on Netflix. One of our favorite movies of the year, Elvis, is now available in 4K Dolby Atmos on HBO Max. Uh, thank you to our friends who are not afraid to be mid to negative on Elvis. I cannot stress <laughs> that enough. Like, thank you for telling us how you really feel. Um, hey, I saw some four and fives. I saw a five star in the Discord. Hey, fours okay. and fives as well are awesome. We love it. Thank you for loving it. But, but. Nothing. I I just don't don't ever feel I, like I, you have. I to love the movie, hide. but I don't feel passionately about it enough to be mad at somebody for disliking it. Because I get why you dislike it. Because it's also stupid. But I still love it. Right. That's and and what's what's interesting in in me is that, that is actually why I love it. Is why so many people completely reject the movie is because yeah. the choices made there are just like 
total bonkers shit show. <laughs> and can I also say uh, Pinocchio is out on Disney Plus at this point. You can watch it right now as you listen to this episode. I what? will have seen it twice already, I think, because I promised my girlfriend I would watch it with her. Um, it's coming it's out on Thursday. Is out? Yeah, it's out. Uh, get this streaming only on Disney Plus on Thursday. Robert Zemeckis directing also. What the fuck? I'm going to have watched 15 of this guy's movies by the end of the year. Because <laughs> I also watched Two Frame Roger Rabbit. I didn't even mention it, but I did watch that too last week. And like, yeah. I'm watching every Robert Zemeckis movie now, apparently. Cannot wait to hear your takes on The Witches, Welcome to Marwin, <laughs> and uh, oh, Contact would be great for this show. But anyway. The Witches anyway. is fun. The wi- I mean, Angelica Houston is No, amazing. the Angelica Houston The Witches is fun. He directed the Anne Hathaway The Witches. That HBO Max, David Zaslav walked in the room and pulled immediately. <laughs> I did. I did watch that. It's, you know, it's fine. It's not the Angelica Houston one, but it's fine. God, I was so fucked up the day I watched The Witches. <laughs> but but enough about Robert Zemeckis. We could talk about Robert Zemeckis all day. I'll talk about Robert Zemeckis next week on this show. Talk about Pinocchio. Because my life is a series of, of just crises around Disney Plus streaming exclusives, apparently. <laughs> It is time to talk about our feature presentation. (laughs) Star Wars. Are you ready, Kev? Yeah, I I am. You know, I'm totally ready. Usually, even like chairman of the board, I didn't think I was ready. I feel like I've been preparing all my life to talk about this movie on a podcast. (laughs) I'm excited. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships, striking from a hidden base, have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. During the battle, Rebel spies manage to steal secret plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, Princess Leia races home aboard her starship, custodian of the stolen plans that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. A bunch happens after that, but if you thought I wasn't going to read The Crawl, what show is this that you're listening to? (laughs) Mackenzie. Yes. Please start our discussion by telling me everything about your history with Star Wars for reasons that will become very clear later on in the show. I mean, I, here's the thing. I am, I am, I am shaking in my little space boots um shaking in my little space boots uh at the the star wars stands i like i did not grow up with these films i didn't i was not like a kid who loved these growing up my um goddad matt it, i always hail him as like my hero for films because when i was a kid he is the one who showed me fantasy and sci-fi and showed me movies like legend and labyrinth mm. and the 10th kingdom miniseries that no one knows about but me uh, which is a great miniseries, and I a thousand percent recommend finding it. But you know, he showed me all these huge movies, and he showed me Star Wars, and I think that I just didn't. It did not stick as a kid. I was like, "This is weird. I don't like it." So I just totally missed Whoa. the boat as a child. <laughs> I just gravitated to fantasy more than sci-fi. I always have, and I still do gravitate to fantasy way more than sci-fi. Um, and so I, I did not grow up watching Star Wars. It was a thing that you can't escape. So I was always sort of aware of it. Um, obviously as a kid, the prequels came out and so I was around like other kids who were really into them, but I just wasn't, um, probably had like a toy or two from McDonald's. Uh, it was just that Star Wars was never in my sphere, um, as a kid. And then when the force awakens came out, I think I had some friends who were like, Mackenzie, come see it with us. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't seen any of the other <laughs> and they were and so i remember distinctly it was like around christmas i was dog sitting and i just like borrowed this person that i was house sitting for's like box set and i just watched all of them um and i thought they were fine it was weird coming to them late in life um but then i i really loved the force awakens because that was my first time coming to a you know to a star wars film like at at my I don't know, at my own pace, I guess. And uh, so I watched the newest trilogy as they came out. Um, 
much like most franchises there i don't have super strong feelings about it but like yeah it was i think i have an inter- i have a different relationship i think than most people to star wars just because it wasn't something that was really a huge part of my life but i know that is not the case with a per- other other guy on the zoom call with me so what is your history star yeah wars? you know it's a funny thing my big star wars memories as a kid are of the merchandise around what is called the special edition. I'm speaking that way on purpose. You'll see. <laughs> I remember having storybooks of Star Wars. I remember having like, remember the picture books where you press, there was the buttons on the side and it played like a noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have a bird for you. Look about this. All of it. All of it. I remember that. I remember my Yoda stories CD-ROM which had a special sneak peek of Inside the Magic Special Editions, where they took you through all the changes they've made to the movie for that release. I remember all these things and more. I barely remember the actual movies from that point in my life. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I had no memory of it. And I mean, you know, for this discussion, we'll isolate A New Hope and we'll just talk about that. But yeah. For the franchise, you know, episode one came out and was a giant deal. There were toys everywhere. It was inescapable. I watched it once in theaters with my dad, got it on video, and then never revisited it, which is curious. And then episodes two and three were like, you know, there was a reputation and an attitude going in, and and I saw them in theaters. Episode two, I read the book five times because there was a deleted scene where Anakin met Padme's family, and nothing happens in the scene. It deserved to get cut. (laughs) <laughs> but that was enough for me to read this book like five times and uh oh my god i still couldn't tell you the plot of that one but uh <laughs> yeah you know and then the sequels came out and we can get to that i think that the president's getting a little nervous at the notion of me speaking of them but i do really enjoy <laughs> um i loved force awakens and coming out of force awakens i was like oh anything's possible and then yeah. I loved The Last Jedi for the record, and that's kind of where things start to fall under the contract I signed with the president. Um, but for now, <laughs> yeah, A New Hope. A New Hope. Where, where do you want to go first? What are you thinking? I mean, the first thing that hits me when I put on A New Hope is that fucking score. I yeah. mean, John Williams is the greatest film, one of the greatest film composers of all time (laughs) and um there is just such a immersive feeling when that like you you, these like even if you're not a person like me who has this like nostalgia this deep like deep 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 love for these films like that that music's in your bones like who doesn't know the music to star wars it's incredible and it's phenomenal and it's just like it was really a treat putting it on and just like immediately hearing that incredible score and then obviously i think my favorite is the which is probably a lot of people's favorites when luke goes outside to look at the two sons i forget what that theme is called that i think it's just the force theme yeah the force theme good lord talk about understanding the assignment right (laughs) you have this wildly new super inventive state-of-the-art throwback to flash gordon shorts and other adventure serials and john williams gets that takes it is inspired by the classical suite the planets and meshes everything together into this really just what fuck man it's the john williams score for star wars what what more can i say what can this (laughs) schmuck say from this chair that you haven't already heard. You know what I mean? Like, man, I mean, like, yeah, it's phenomenal. And even the littlest instrumentation, like the number of horns or like or this, this sound of this drum. Oh my God. He's working on a whole other level. It's, it's, it is, it is, it is quite literally mind blowing how talented he is and how, how good this score is. Like, I just, I, like, I just don't know. I mean, there's a reason why he's like the most beloved film composer in history and it's because he just every everything he touches is just so 
iconic and fits the piece perfectly and he it's just it's just great like every time the music I, I i feel it a little bit more it just it really rocks my world he really brings the magic to the film there's a music cue in et that made me weep as a grown man <laughs> okay i wept like a child in this theater <laughs> on one cue because i knew what it meant it's oh. a beautiful powerful thing yeah i love john williams score my music for me in film and scores really can be the, the the literal transformative aspect for a film to me. Like it's what really elevates a movie's experience. I think if a score can really, it's 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 it has to draw that weird line of you don't want to notice it too much, but you also need to let it in like enhance your emotions and the way you feel. Uh, I don't even know. Wow. Well, Gosh. yeah, especially with such intense melodramas like these early Spielbergs and with Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Superman also, which is another Mm -hmm. iconic John Williams score. It keeps you engaged and it ties you in. I love it. I love it all. The other thing is even with this perfect score, you know, this is kind of my first point. I love, love how scrappy this is. (laughs) Even the next one, while they're breaking new ground in scrappy ways that later got painted over. It's never quite this rough again. Like, like no matter how many times he can revise and erase his previous draft and revise and erase, like sometimes a, a wall is still a wall. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so awesome. And it feels it, real and li- it gives the whole thing a real lived in feel. As well as this like us against the world, again, like rebellious vibe. Yeah, I think it's it, I love the way. 70s movies look they have a texture and a, and a grit to them that i think is really gorgeous and exciting but it does it, i watched the disney plus version and maybe this is our segue into like you telling me what the fuck is going on with these versions but it does lead personally to a really discombobulating viewing experience having the like roughness of 1977 Mm -hmm. and then the like cgi of 2008 mushed in the same shot so often like it is a very visually awful situation in some shots (laughs) you're like okay folks it's time for a show within a show i'm calling an extended history of star wars special edition now (laughs) thank you george lucas okay this is going to be a long one folks George Lucas makes Star Wars. It's real scrappy. It's real close to the gate. Um, His wife saves it in editing, okay? The special effects are state-of-the-art, but they still look kind of, you know, it's 1977, right? There are what's called mat lines around all the ships. Things look kind of rough and kind of static. It's like Mos Eisley doesn't look big enough. It's not quite what he wants. And while they continue to break ground in Empire and Jedi, it's still not quite what he's looking for. Early 90s come around, Steven Spielberg's like, look, can you guys at ILM, can you oversee this work in post-production on future Austin Danger podcast episode Jurassic Park? I have to go make a film we'll never discuss on this show due to subject matter, Schindler's List, right? (laughs) So Lucas goes in and he sees the CGI in Jurassic Park and he's like, well, uh, we've finally done it. We have finally reached the point at which I can do more Star Wars movies or whatever. So to experiment with the CG, to reignite public interest in Star Wars, because it will have been 15 years by that time or whatever since Jedi came out, I'm going to re-release these movies in theaters and we're going to remaster them and we're going to introduce stuff that they haven't seen. And it was called the Star Wars Special Edition. It was January, February, March of 1997. We're going to release the original trilogy. And also... These are going to be the only versions of the trilogy you can ever have ever again. We're going to put them out one more time on video in like 95, 96. Maybe some friends can confirm. And then that's it. No more. Only the 97 versions. Now, the trailer is incredible. Okay. For an entire generation, people have experienced Star Wars the only way it's been possible on the TV screen. But if you've only seen it this way, you haven't seen it at all. Now, for its 20th anniversary, the adventure of a lifetime returns to the big screen in a way you've never seen before. There'll be no one to stop us this time. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. With newly enhanced visual effects. They're coming in too fast! 
VHX and digital sound. And a few new surprises. And it only gives you half of the picture. <laughs> so here's what here's some of what was added. Obviously, a lot of the special effects are redone. A lot a lot of it is kept in its models, but some major hero shots are either completely redone or whatever in C- replaced with CG on the X-Wings specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, Mos Eisley has been completely revamped and renovated to look way larger, including some, like, why didn't they go back and reanimate some of this animation? I don't know. This, this like, 1995 era CG of, like, dinosaur comedy. Luke is driving the speeder coming down, and there's a giant creature walking in front of frame very sloppily basically for no reason. And again, these these CG elements are baked into the physical film they have at Lucasfilm. There is no other negative but this. Insane. Then, in the Mos Eisley Cantina, there's a few creatures that have been replaced. There's like a Rastafarian frog, like sipping on a hookah or something. I think I saw Did you clock that, that. Yeah, there was some weird... Yeah. There was like... Because you can tell the difference between the practical effect alien and the CG alien. And the thing is, the practical effects aliens look better and cooler... Because then the CG guy looks super out of place. He hated the costumes, by the way. That is canonical fact. I think it's even in the Light and Magic documentary. Oh, my God. And then they added... So Han just shot Greedo originally. They had a back and forth about Jabba, and then Han just shot Greedo dead. Because you're supposed to believe that he's a dangerous killer, right? Mm -hmm. But then Lucas added these like extra lines of dialogue and this very sloppy CG Han head shift that made Greedo shoot at Han first. And have it be an act of self-defense, which totally ruins the entire point of that scene. Why would you even have it then? Why would you even have it? (laughs) Then on top of that, they had this scene with Jabba the Hutt that they cut because Lucas didn't even know what the creature was going to look like at that point. Oh, my God. Although this is the first time we're seeing Jabba, so I don't know. Maybe he looks different in other appearances later on. Wink. (laughs) And then Jabba, if you notice closely, number one, that Jabba scene it fades in slow like molasses to let you know what you're in for. And then, like, it's the worst scene. It's It looks dreadful. It plays, it feels bad to watch. It totally kills. If you watch, I'll, I'll talk about it later. Like, there was a way to purchase the originals in a very shitty quality because they were Laserdisc rips, legally sold. But the movie flows way better without this scene. And they CG'd over Jabba. And he used to look way worse, by the way. They replaced their Jabba with a new design for the DVDs later. The the Jabba that I watched in the Disney Plus version, like, there's, like, that shot where him and Han are together. And, like, it just looks like total shit. Yeah, it <laughs> like, looks terrible. And, like, not... It's just because, like, Han... This is, that's the, the most, like, 1977 meets like 2000 whatever yeah, yeah and it just looks so discombobulating to to watch you're like this these were clearly 30 years apart in a way that is like annoying looking for what it's worth i'm no fan of any design of this but i think the 97 design does mesh a little better also because that's what they fucking designed originally in 2004 you're just plopping a new digital element into the scene and A, it looks even less like Jabba than the original. And B, it meshes even worse. And then they have Harrison Ford walk over his tail. Oh, my God. What a mess. What else did they change? So this is actually, th- those are the big ones. The rest are, you know, digital cleanups and this and that. Han shot first, obviously, is a giant meme that we all know. Oh, and they restored a really cute scene where Luke runs into Biggs, his friend from Tatooine which I actually enjoy. I like that scene in there. And I thought it was like the only positive scene ad um, to this whole trilogy. And you'll see, believe me, now that you know this, Return of the Jedi, holy moly. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, so those are the big changes. And of course they caused a huge uproar because you fucked with Star Wars and you're not giving anybody a chance to see them again in the original way. so weird. I, I think about the artists like Phil Tippett and other artists at, at Lucasfilm who had their work essentially traced over and that work possibly besides like illegal, like Harmies despecialized, which is the turnip trip I was trying to about earlier, like besides stuff like that, there's never going to be an easy legal way to get like a 4k copy of the original star Wars as of 
September 6th, 2022. You can't do it. Legally. Wild. That is crazy. Uh, but yeah, there's been a whole lot of conversation about it. You know, who owns Star Wars now that it's been released? Is it Lucas's right to be able to go back and change it and to add CG shit all over the place and to add this Jabba scene that adds nothing and fuck Han's character almost entirely? Like, is it in his right? Like, he does own it. And 20th Century Fox wanted to make, you know, those special editions were hugely popular and I had a lot of merchandise. Um, but yeah, so that is Star Wars a new hope, the special edition backstory and changes. LOL. And that, and that I think is it. Although if, if people, you know, Austin did your podcast at gmail.com. I think I got everything like major that you would care about. There we go. So when you told me you didn't know about this, my mind was <laughs> blown because it's one of the biggest conversations in geekdom ever. Yeah. I, I did not know anything about any of this. I just was like, Sure, I believe you. And then obviously I, I watched it and I don't even know if I noticed everything. I just noticed like, you know, CG lizards or people or obviously Jabba, like things that just look co- completely out of place. And so it just like, it just makes the movie look crappier. It, it's just like, ugh, it sucks. Here's something you could change. And something that bugged me, it's always kind of bugged me and it'll always bug me. And, you know, last week we decided to go through release order because of things like this, where it is very obvious that the Star Wars movies are made up as they're going along. <laughs> Princess Leia disrespects Darth Vader to his face. She goes to uh, Peter Cushing, Hammer Horror Legend, as Grand Moff Tarkin, who is exemplary, amazing in this film, and goes like, I should have known I'd find you at the end of Tarkin's leash, right? What is Vader's role? What is Vader's perception? Rogue One is a movie that takes place... Sorry, I know I broke our rule, but Rogue One is a movie that takes place two weeks before this, and Vader's like a fucking monster. He's ki- he killed twelve men in the opening credits. What is I mean... what is the hierarchy there? <laughs> now, by Empire Strikes Back, they got it all figured out. I have. I feel like there's an unpopular opinion I have that Rachel refused to respond to me when I said it. Go for it. I think that fight with him and Obi Wan looks dumb as hell. You're not alone on that. A lot of people think that it's a very complicated situation because it just feels very anticlimactic because they're both just like <laughs> they're just they look like two old guys like poking each other with sticks. Well, think about it like that is what I, they are. But I still. hate to say it like this because I know it's going to break. I was very adamant about this as a rule, but you got to think about where Obi-Wan is in his life and what's inside the Darth Vader suit at this moment. But then again, Rogue One, he's killing everybody. He's like a ninja. So I don't know. I, th- I, I, I I kind of agree with you, although it, it is also the first lightsaber fight. So they didn't know what they were shooting. That's true. I mean, they're just sort of like poking each other. I And this is OK. I Again, I feel like the Star Wars diehards are going to fucking murder me. And this is a genuine question out of curiosity. Why does Obi-Wan kill himself or like give up? Like, why does he do that? Um, That's a great question. Is that like, I just, I never get it. Every time I watch it and he just like pieces out and then Darth Vader like taps him on the sign and he turns into dust. I just never get it every time I watch this movie. I'm like, why does he fucking do that? And also I just, I think the way that death looks looks so stupid as well, but yeah. Well, it, again, 1977, we didn't know, right? Jaws was <laughs> only know. two years I know, it's the this. 1977 of it all. And because I don't have the nostalgia factor for it, it makes it hard for me to like, lean into it I suppose uh and I don't know why and maybe the reason why I'm not even I don't try harder is because like Star Wars doesn't need me like Star Wars (laughs) like it doesn't need me specifically (laughs) so I'm like it it feels different than other like cult films from this era that also have these sort of shortcomings that I'm more forgiving to right I mean Star Wars doesn't want me anymore so it's complicated (laughs) uh I will say for the Obi-Wan thing think of it like this he says to Darth Vader, first of all, he calls him Darth like it's his first name. Another <laughs> piece of, if you if you didn't need more proof, they were just making this up as they went along. Darth. Darth. <laughs> What's it called? Your powers won't work on me, Darth. I do like that line. How amazing is that line? The cycle has com- the cycle is complete. When you last saw me, I was but a student, but now I am the master or something like that. Come on. Mm-hmm. Come on with this. That is amazing. <laughs> also, pure Lucas, by the way, because Hayden Christensen would have made that sound like shit. Um, think of it this way. He tells Darth, he tells Darth, right? He says, when you if you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Why? Because once he is dead. 
he can manifest himself to not just as a, you know, not just in ways we don't see in this film, but may see later, hint, hint, but to Luke in there, he's with him. And it is Obi-Wan's influence that gets Luke in the X-Wing. And it is Obi-Wan's voice that Luke follows to trust the Force and to blow up the Death Star. Without Obi-Wan's death, do those things happen? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's fucking Star Wars, right? It will happen. (laughs) But, you know, Obi-Wan had to die so he could become a mentor for Luke that way. And then maybe later turn him towards other things. Mm-hmm. I know I'm being really annoying with the being coy about stuff, but it's because you'll... No, s- I'm asking because I genuinely don't get it. And Rachel was like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay. All right. So for our purposes tonight, for A New Hope, it was to, um, in, you know, in death, really, truly become Luke's mentor and guide him. Because the real jokes on Darth Vader, right, who's left spinning off into oblivion after the destruction of the Death Star. And it's really only by chance that he's out there. He really shouldn't be. Right. <laughs> Any other general would have or would have stayed, you know, mysteries of Star Wars revealed on Austin Danger <laughs> podcast. I love it. Yeah. You know. I love the chemistry between everybody, right? Leia mm-hmm. and Grand Moff Tarkin is a pairing that this this time I was really going for. <laughs> I mean, Carrie Fisher, our main connection, is my favorite part of this movie, obviously. I think in one part I wrote, um, Han Solo is cool. And then I, and then like five minutes later, I was like, oh, Leia's cooler though. Uh, Because I love Leia. She's like, uh, she's the best. I just love, I always have loved Carrie Fisher. And again, like I didn't grow up with her. I think a lot of girls, like Rachel, even my partner, like grew up with Leia as a huge role model. And I can see why. She's a badass. You know what I mean? Someone's got to save our skins and it's going to be Leia. Um, she's a really awesome character for 1977 and especially in a genre film, uh, being a woman and Carrie Fisher and all of her strength brings out all of that awesome badassery in Leia. And so Leia always, it's interesting to me watching it now, I guess I didn't realize how little screen time both Han and Leia have. I mean, they're around, but especially Leia, she makes such an impact and she's not like around around as much in this film. Right. Uh, as much as I would, you would think she is cause she's so iconic. Um, so I think that just is a testament to Carrie's talent that with, with a little bit of screen time, she was able to make such an amazing impact with a character like that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they're all, they're great. Yeah. I, I like the, the main trio. I don't think Luke pops out as much as he does in future films. Uh, like, I think he gets a little drowned out by, he's just kind of carrying the film and he's doing all the action. And I think that like Leia and Han, like personality wise pop a little bit more. Um, but yeah. I think I think Luke I think resonates with me a bit more later down the road, but yeah, they're great. They're a great little trio. Yeah, I love the way I love how sometimes it feels like, especially when you watch bloopers and behind the scenes, but it comes through in the movie too. How these feel like regular actors who are fighting against a script, <laughs> right? Like they are just trying to get this shit out. Alec Guinness, light a cigarette. He's done. He's finished. He would, he was like whatever on the side of this. Um, but the trio, they all feel like earnest kids, you know, trying to work with George. I love it. It's Star Wars. <laughs> um, what else you got for Star Wars? I know we're... Uh... I don't really have a lot of notes. Like, it's not a movie that, like, it, for me, was note heavy. I was just sort of watching it. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. Put that I, on I feel the box. Like... <laughs> I was just sort of watching it. I, I wrote I, R2-D2 and C-3PO are my favorite gay couple in film. Um, there it is. You know, there it they're, is. they're great. They're bicker, they're bickering husbands. I feel like um, C3PO and, and RTD2 are awesome. Uh, I, I just, I think that it's like, I, I just kept thinking the whole time, like how they upgrade some things and they don't upgrade the other things, like how they're putting all their weight behind like random bullshit. No one cares about. And then like the lasers look like shit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like the stormtroopers shooting looks so stupid. I was like, why Again, put money in that? It, put it money in It wasn't there. about any of that. It was about seeing if CG would mesh with the live action footage because he was doing. Um, look, we're <laughs> potentially years away from talking about Jojo Binks on this show, but literally, <laughs> I'm not joking. Everything you see in this film Sith Lord, is a Sith Lord. Everything you see in this that is like a bad CG mix is to test for Jar Jar Binks. That's exactly what it is. Insane. Um, 
I, I wrote, Kev's going to hate me for saying this, but honestly, watching Obi-Wan, the series so recently, gave me kind of context for these early scenes with... Um, with with Luke and his uncle, honestly, like uh, yeah, no, I agree. I was I was impressed by how that threaded for me in terms of uh, you know, not again, not talking too much about outside culture, but like the way they flesh out his uncle and Obi Wan, I thought was really good. And then like bringing, I was like bringing that knowledge to this portrayal of the uncle and seeing the like seeing that series and the events of that series affecting this actor, even though he had no way of knowing. Uh, I just thought that was cool. So even though they're making it up as they go, they, they tied it in really well. So that was kind of interesting. Even a rotten tree one day bears solid fruit. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I loved Luke sounding like an impertinent teenager. Who's like, I just want to go play with my friends. Oh, I was going to go to Tashi station to pick up some power converters. (laughs) Don't you love like, I thought he's a baby. He's a baby. It's a piece of junk. I love it. I love it. Mark Hamill just learning how to act. So My good. Baby. I think he totally nails it. I, I was totally mesmerized while we're on Tatooine here. The the first act farm drama, right? It's designed to manipulate you into be yearning for the space adventure that you heard about at the beginning, right? So you're with Luke when all this happens and then you bond and you cling to him. And that's really well designed. I mm. really admired the structure, this go around of just staying with him, First of all, Aunt Baru looks just like him. It's totally freaky. Totally <laughs> freaky. But uh, yeah, just the, you know, you have to stay another season and all this with the growing of the corn. And, you know, all of this is great. And you feel the yearning because you've seen what it's like up there. And it's totally awesome. And you want to be back up there and you get peaks. But, you know, it's time to go. Let's go. Yeah. So when you get to stuff like the cantina and stuff, you're like, oh, this is fun. But. I'm going to speed it up here, you know? Yeah. There were parts in the beginning where I wish the pacing was, but like there was a whole sequence where like the droids, we had to watch them like walking a really long way in the desert. And then like we had to watch them get captured. And then we had to watch them get like slowly taken to the junkyard. And I'm like, we just could, all we needed was to see them get captured and then see them being sold to the Skywalker. Like we did not need to see all this other shit. By the way, the shot of R2D2 walking and the Canyon is cartoonishly large and giant. (laughs) <laughs> is because that was a change made for the special edition and they wanted oh to do God. a bigger canyon for that scene crazy Just yeah so there was know. like some parts in the opening part in the opening first act where i was like we could tighten this up a little bit <laughs> like this this doesn't all need to be here i am with you on it i i do think it's all to service the force the twin sunset shot yes right where you're like, man, I had to live your life for 25 minutes and it was excruciating, bro. I get you. (laughs) I know what's up there. There's a big scary guy who looks, who has a familiar gait to you suspiciously. Huh? I wonder what that's about. Um, Yeah. I mean, again, like the last really things I was writing was just, I like, I get really more into the film when they're all finally on the ship together and like the squad is all together and they're going to the Death Star and like, this is all happening. It was really shocking to me how much of the film takes place in the Death Star. I guess I I just like didn't realize how how much of the film is just like being stuck in the death in the Death Star. Like right. I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah. I did, again, I did, those were all even some of my those were mostly my popcorn notes. I just I didn't take all the notes here. It's it's not a film that I feel like is a note heavy film. It's just you're just watching it for entertainment. It's a movie I know so intimately and through the trauma of disappointment has burned its way so deeply into my brain that <laughs> I just I. I can't, I have to live. I have the knowledge now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Man, I love, uh, how about Obi-Wan cutting that guy's hand off at the cantina? How fun was that? <laughs> Why didn't we see some more of that? Let Obi-Wan just kill people. Let Obi-Wan kill people. <laughs> Period. <laughs> it's Star Wars, you know. Fuck. is that your final thoughts just throwing your arms in the air that's my final thought um the only the only reason i wouldn't give this five stars is because like i don't know man the next one's so good but it is obviously for me five stars it's star wars it's so wonderful and again like just just Having this like one millionth experience, but the first time in a couple of years, really sitting down and watching it 
Mm. I'm just admiring that structure. I really respect it more than I ever have at any point in my life. That's awesome. Porkins, justice for Porkins. That's my final thought. Five stars. Who is that? What is that? Porkins is the is the fat guy. <laughs> There's one X-wing pilot who is larger than the rest, and his nickname is Porkins. Porkins. And he dies. Yeah, it's sad. God, I didn't notice him. <laughs> well, there you go. As him. usual, as usual, Porkins disappears into the wall. Don't worry, I'll make him known. <laughs> we need a Porkins action figure stat. I think there. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. Funko Pop. I wouldn't be surprised. What are your? What are your? Oh, thirty dollars on eBay used Porkins figure. Hasbro oh, there from two thousand. Ooh, I'm gonna buy a Porkins. Uh, while I'm doing that. Mackenzie, your final thoughts and your star rating, please. Um, yeah, this is, you know, it's, it's, I tried to preface a lot in my history that I, I just don't have a nostalgia factor for this film. I did not grow up with this film. And so it is like, for me, it is like objectively entertaining. There is a reason why it is like, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to be the person that's coming up and being like, Star Wars is bad, actually. Because it's not. It's good. It's amazing. And it's, it has this this history and this weight and it's important to cinematic history it's important to sci-fi filmmaking it's it's objectively an entertaining watch but it doesn't resonate with me on a deeper level like it is very for me it is a very surface level film because i don't have an attachment like even my attachment to leia is more about carrie fisher than it is about leia like I, i don't have it's just a film i don't have an attachment to and so it makes it sort of a okay watch to me and i have been so scared all day as i watched this being like i'm just kind of mid on star wars and everyone's gonna hate me um but i'm probably at like a three or three and a half for you were also i mean george lucas retire right (laughs) the thing is i don't think it's bad i think that it is probably one of the most important sci-fi films ever made and it is entertaining and it's fun to watch and i think it'd be more fun maybe with a group of people yeah. But, like, it's never a movie that's going to, like, cut to my core in the way that, like, other movies do for me. Um, and, yeah, and, like, I might have felt differently had I grown up with this and had this be such a part of my identity as a kid and growing up. But it just it just wasn't. So, yeah, that's probably where I'm at. I'm a bit, I'm a bit more mid on Star Wars. I apologize to everyone on Earth. Wow. No wonder most of this episode was me talking about the special editions. Hmm. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of notes. I was just like, yep, it's Star Wars. Well, well, there it is. Have I broken your heart? Is this the thing that pairs us apart? I'm so sorry. I don't think that there's an opinion. I don't think that anything like, no, I don't think that Star Wars is going to break anything apart. um, (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad. I don't want to lose you. Again, if the last year of Star Wars content has taught me anything, it's that I'm no longer welcome there. So uh, whatever. Uh, But I, you know, I get it. The fun is with the growth. You know what I mean? We're going to grow into better and bigger films. Yeah. Like the fun has only just begun is what I wanted to say. And you could say that about so many journeys is that the growth. And then in some cases, the tragic shrinkage. Oh (laughs) my God. Just wait. I'm not even just talking about Star Wars there. But, uh, but yeah, we did it. We did it. We did it. I am. I am surprised to hear you are more mid on it than maybe I was expecting. Yeah. But that's interesting. That's interesting. And hey, you know, who knows what will happen in the future? We can get Empire Strikes Back next week. <laughs> sure, why not? We could. I mean, nothing's stopping us. Could you imagine accidental star temper? It's possible. <laughs> but first, we got to do our little show about Star Wars. And if you will allow me, hem, hem. I, I love gold! gold. It will not surprise you to learn that one of the most popular films of 1977, indeed all-time Star Wars, was nominated for a ton of Oscars. Okay? Best Picture, Director, Alec Guinness for Supporting Actor, which is... Insane. Cuckoo Bird to me. And then all of the technicals they won. So Art Direction, Costume Design, Film Editing, Original Score, Best Sound, Visual Effects, and Ben Burt, the Sound Designer, got a Special Achievement Oscar. Ooh, hell Yeah. Which is very cool. One of the guys, uh, we know him because he designed Wally's sounds earlier this oh, year. Amazing. Um, most of the most of the stuff on the rest of this list is like the Saturn Awards, who nominated and gave it to everybody because duh. Uh, the only reason Peter Cushing didn't win is because Alec Guinness did, etc. Um, <laughs> you know, interestingly, Best Actor Harrison and Mark were nominated, but neither won. And who beat them? 
<laughs> Who beat them? This is our second on cinema reference this week. Amazingly, what? George Burns as God in the John Denver comedy, Oh God. What is I that? I've never heard of that. I believe this. It is a, I have never seen it. It's, it's constantly referenced on on cinema. It's called Oh God. But that's all the gold, you know, gold. What can I tell you? You love it. We love it. We love it. Moving on now to the Alan Parsons Project. You know, these are the connections to this week, only two, that bring us this film. Obviously, as the amazing therapist in the hilarious scene, International Man of Mystery, Carrie Fisher. Let me tell you, uh, once-in-a-lifetime talent, she returns. This is her third appearance on Austin Pod, if I get my math right. Yeah, with Burbs. She's in the Burbs. She's going to bring us When Harry Met Sally, one of the greatest movies ever made. Yes, she's wonderful in When Harry Met Sally. Very funny. Oh, she's in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back as a nun. <laughs> she's a nun in Charlie's Angels Full Throttle as well. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Why is that her type? I don't know. Totally. <laughs> and then a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, maybe we'll do her episode of Amazing Stories if we're 15 years from now and have run out of ideas. Who knows? <laughs> Oh, the other connection, Steve Cooper in the art department also gives us Life Force, that alien movie that uh, just came out on Shout Blu-ray or whatever. Fantastic Four 2015, also known as Fant Stick. And the massively <laughs> underrated, even by the people who love it, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Hmm. So that's nice. cool. Nice. That's cool. And those are the connections. We love it. We love a short week. Hey, you are. You're over there. We have two U's over there. This week, we have a letter from Zolidus. Am I saying that right? I don't know if I am. I hope I, I am. I read it as Zolidus, but Zolidus. I am not 100% sure. I'm reading it that way Either because way, of... it's very epic. It sounds like an epic space uh, Darth, if you will. Boom. Darth Zolidus. Um, he says, oh, you're doing Star Wars? Nice. Hey, over there. Zaludis from the Dune Pod Discord channel. If you want to spice up Star Wars episode with an extra layer, see if you can give Kurosawa's Rashomon 1950 a go too, since it was a big inspiration for Star Wars. Trust me on this, you will be inspired a heck to see where the story came from. Great letter. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I, I'm not sure if if he's talking about Rashomon or Hidden Fortress. Which is I've often seen cited. Rashomon, and I di- didn't see a lot of connections with Rashomon, but I've yeah. not seen Hidden Fortress. So. Hidden Fortress literally has C-3PO and R2-D2 in it as two dudes. <laughs> like, it is pretty clear it's just taken. It's not like a fistful of dollars situation where, like, there was a lawsuit and Clint Eastwood lost. Or, just mm. I guess, Leone lost. Um, but, yeah, I do agree that Hidden Fortress has a lot of inspiration from Star Wars, and it is interesting. And I like it. I haven't seen Rashomon. I can't comment on the link there if there is one, though. So Rashomon is, is like, it's, I mean, the last duel is a very recent version yes, of yes, Rashomon, yes. like three different people telling the same story and generally about the uh, sexual abuse of a woman. Uh, that's what Rashomon's about. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Might be Hidden Fortress then. And secondly, we have a voicemail from our dear friend, Paul, which this one seems to be about the mask, our last episode. Nice. So let's see what Paul has to say. Hey, Kevin McKenzie, this is Paul. Uh, I just want to leave this quick voicemail for The Mask. Um, This was one of those movies that I constantly had on when I was a kid and I couldn't get enough of. Um, I really think it was just the, like, multiple musical numbers, Jim Carrey's, like, untouchable animated energy, and um, the visual effects, like, really blew me away and I think still hold up decently well to this day. Yeah. Um, And speaking of visual effects, I have a quick story about that. Um, when I was in college, I took a visual effects class that was actually taught by, um, Steve Williams, who was one of the key visual effects supervisors, I think, for the movie. Um, he broke down a few scenes that he supervised, and then he surprised us by pulling out one of the replica masks they used for the film. And, you know, we got to pass around the classroom and try it on. It was just a really fun experience. But I do have a question for the both of you. Um, if this were made today, who would you cast as Stanley Ipkiss and Tina Carlisle? Okay, guys, take care. Keep up the great work. Later. Oh, what a great voicemail. Oh, my God. What a flex. That's such a cool story. Also, I see Paul's picture all the time, and so it is so cool to have a voice to the picture now. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, who would we cast as Stanley and T? 
there's no one is on Jim Carrey's level in terms of physical comedy nowadays. Yeah, like no it, one is doing comedy like him anymore. Now look, when they got a second chance at New Line, they picked Jamie Kennedy, which is their fault. Okay, it's obviously their fault. Um. I'm trying to think of someone because I guess you could pick someone who could do a totally different take, but I love that like lanky, cartoony, weird take on it. I just can't think of someone who would be equal to that. I think it's tough. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard not to be cynical. I mean, obviously, you know, you put like a Florence Pugh or something, someone who can be quick and funny and is also the most beautiful woman in the world. Um, yeah. In the She'd Tina role. Tina. Easy, yeah. right? Easy peasy. But yeah, like to match the energy and then to be as funny and to do Cuban Pete. That's the big thing, right? Is they wouldn't do Cuban Pete. I don't even know what they would do. Maybe Zoot Suit Riot. The, the lyrics of which are not appropriate for the mask. Um, but um, I don't know who would do that. Who could do that? I mean, I'm even looking at a list of like best slapstick comedians and like, it's all people that aren't around anymore. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's such a, it's a type of comedy that we just don't like see anymore, which sucks. And so it's like, I hate that there's not someone that at the top of my head that I could think of that could, could even do pull this off. Yeah. It's tough. I don't think this movie succeeds without Jim Carrey period. So it's, it's hard. Yeah. I don't want to cop out. I want to give Paul something, but the the problem is it's hard to say like, Hey, it's hard to say something like, Oh, you know, Harry Styles could probably sing Cuban Pete, but will he ever work in a movie again after this month? President Biden called and asked me not to comment further. I'll say that. (laughs) I hope not. I hope he doesn't. Yeah. Um, He should worry, darling. Wink. Moving on. (laughs) And then, you know, all the obvious leads just don't clock for me. Who's a comedy lead anymore? Could Bowen Yang be the mask? Could James Austin Johnson be the mask? I don't think James Austin Johnson. I love him, but I don't think his neutral is outgoing enough. John Mulaney? Yeah. John Mulaney might be a good fit. Like, I think he would have the nerdiness down. I think, yeah. I don't think he's as physical as Jim Carrey. I'm literally like looking at a list of like young comedians trying to find someone good. 40 something year old John Mulaney is on a list of young comedians on Google. Um, <laughs> I, guess. I guess that that's the answer for me. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that I would need less of the sing song. I would need a, a voice out of him for Stanley that I have never heard before. Mm-hmm. I don't know if yeah. that's possible. Cause you but, know, spider yeah. pig, spider pig is basically the mask in many ways or no, sorry. Yeah. <gasps> Peter Porker from uh, spider verse is very similar. Demi sure. He might be funny. I don't know. Yeah. But again, I, I also fully agree with the sentiment that this movie does not work without Jim Carrey. It just doesn't. Also, does it work outside of its prime position in the middle of the swing revival? Like, no, it really doesn't. This movie could not be made today. Like swing revival stuff is dead. Like Mighty Mighty Boston's played in a fucking park in Medford, Long Island five years ago. <laughs> That's where we're at in the swing revival. They're broken up now, <laughs> right? To my point. I think it would have to be a totally different movie. I think I think yeah. Demi's a great choice for what would be a, a wildly different and maybe not as good movie. I don't know. Honestly, if the mask was made today, it might be truer to the comic books. They might just go in that darker direction and it might just be a different movie and like maybe not a bad way, but it just wouldn't be the mask that we that we know and love. It wouldn't be uh, improved. No. I don't know. You know, maybe Big Head is better. Maybe Big Head is better. Well, thank you for that voicemail. Thank nonetheless, you, I'm sorry we <laughs> could not give you a good answer. No, you but, know what? Um, it's their fault, not ours. Yeah, we need more comedians that can do physical comedy. Uh, But if you would like to leave us a voicemail about Star Wars, you know, you can still send us something about Star Wars. I don't care when we watched it. You could send us something with a mask. Who gives a shit? You can write in about Chairman of the Board. Yeah, who cares? Talk about anything we've watched. Talk about Austin Powers. Talk about how your day's going. We'll read it on the podcast. We will also talk about possibly whatever we're watching next week. That's right. But if you want to tell us about any of those things, you can email us voicemails and letters at austindangerpodcast at gmail.com and we will share them all. And speaking of whatever we're watching next week. Oh my God. I can't. I get to Sorry. roll. I know that was clearly. Week. <laughs> I know that was clearly my cue to say that, but I was. I'm just. You're, you're nervous we're I am, we're racked with anxiety every week we <laughs> only have eight of part. these left you know for the year yeah, it's you really the year. Think about yeah. It. all right i'm getting my number <sighs> uh 
Um, I don't think I know what this movie is. Um, oh, no. The film centers on a prison break aboard the Justice Prisoner and Alien Transportation System aircraft nicknamed Con Air. Oh, oh, I've actually never seen this movie. Con Air, 1997, starring Nicolas Cage, John Cusack, and John Malkovich. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Is Con Air... Uh, so this is a 1997 Con Air, 1997, directed by Simon West, starring Nicolas Cage, John Cusack, and John Malkovich. Yeah, is this Malkovich's debut? Is it Malkovich's debut? I'll take a look at... We'll, we'll know next week, put it that way. <laughs> I I don't know anything about this movie. Isn't this the? I think I, the only thing I know about this movie is, isn't this the one where D- Nicholas Cage has really long hair and a, like a white tank top? It's the one from the GIF of him sniffing or whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. I what you've never seen this movie either? I've never seen it. Yeah. This is one of my '90s action blind spots. Is this um one of the first times we've both not seen a movie that we've Correct. covered? Yeah. I think the last one. Like if you go back at the, the board, list. Maybe. Chairman of the board. Yeah, this is going to be better than Chairman of the board. I already know. <laughs> the cast of this is insane. Like Nicholas Cage, Don Cusack, Don Malkovich, obviously Steve what Buscemi. If... What? Ving Rhames. Iconic, iconic actor. Danny Trejo, the man who never Danny... said no to a role. Danny Trejo. He was on Desperate Housewives. That's right. Fun I'm fact. Ex- I'm unsurprised by that. Oh my god, this cast is crazy. Well, I don't know nothing about this movie, neither do you. I guess we're watching Con Air next week. <laughs> Hell yeah, let's do that. 1997, it's in the wheelhouse era-wise, but we're back in the 90s. Um, Fucking Con Air, I guess we're watching it. Directed by Simon West, the director of Lara Croft Tomb Raider, The Expendables 2, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> Expendables 2 is the movie where Chuck Norris uh, myths are real. Oh my gosh. Seven this years after that joke was made. Has a 3.3 average on Letterboxd. That's that's respectable. <laughs> it is only available to stream on AMC Plus. Uh, so if you don't have AMC Plus, you have to rent it. Yeah, I wonder where they're scraping that from. It might have actually expired on there based on the only being the Amazon thing. Wild. Oh, well. three stars from friend of the show, Dale underscore A. I'm seeing a three star from Marcy as well. Oh, I'm scared. She said the ending made her cry. Interesting. 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 A unsurprising two star from our dear friend Ty. Danny Weiser at a three star. Friend of the show, uh, Evie, five stars. <laughs> so, hey, there's some people who love Con Air out there, I guess. Anything can happen, and it's all going to happen next week on Austin Danger Podcast. If you needed proof, this show was random. Okay. Spider-Man 2, <laughs> Star Wars, Con, Con Air. Air. <laughs> and the mask. And the mask. How do you like that? But that is it for us this week. It is time for us to go watch Con Air. So Let's do it. From Mackenzie, this is Kev. Austin Danger Podcast. Peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening. You know, Roald Dahl was an anti-Semite. Sorry if I'm the one breaking this to, to anybody in the bloopers right now. The fucking... Wiki ad is blocking me from saying it. Oh my god. It literally took up the entire little chunk of the crawl. That's embarrassing. That's so funny. So That's stupid. So funny. Hi bloopers. Hi bloopers. <laughs> Star Wars episode. No, fuck that. No, stop. <laughs>